0: You are in the ring with Hector Galon, seven-time National Boxing
1: Champion, turned nonprofit president and CEO. Hector knocks out the big issues facing social services today with high-impact leaders from around the US.
0: In the ring is a creation of Lutheran Social Services of Wisconsin and Upper Michigan and is produced by No Studios. And now, here's Hector Galon. Hello, 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 and welcome to In the Ring with Héctor Colón, the show that gets real about the challenges facing the social services sector and the people we serve. It has been almost one year since our first episode, and we have invited um, some amazing guests that have shared with us about the challenges they're facing in the social services sector. But they haven't stopped there. They've shown us how they've addressed those challenges in extraordinary ways also through innovation and so we are so glad that um, we have learned from these individuals not only at lss but across the nation from these thought leaders that are doing amazing things i want to let you know that we're working on a great lineup uh, for next year 2023 so please uh, subscribe uh, to our youtube channel Follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter so you don't miss any of these important uh, episodes in the future. I also want to thank, in the ring, uh, our podcast sponsor, M3, who is a great provider uh, for LSS, a great uh, friend, uh, and also a great collaborator. They do great things uh, for our organization and many organizations across the country. Uh, All right. Are you ready? Here's the bottom line. Pay is not commensurate to the value our colleagues provide society. Programs and policies are not advancing quick enough in order to address the true needs of the people we serve. And the financial viability of our sector is in jeopardy. It's not a fair fight. That's why this year, we're going to continue these conversations with individuals at the center of these challenges, true champions who are willing to get into the ring with me. And now as my coach Shorty used to say, let's go champ. In the ring with me today, again, is my dear friend, Susan Dreyfus, one of the best minds in the social services sector industry. Uh, I brought Susan back to close out our inaugural year uh, with a reflection on what we have learned, where we have grown, and where our sector needs to go in 2023 and beyond. Susan has a very impressive career and it spans across health and human services in Wisconsin, Washington State, and truly around the nation. Recently, Susan served as the CEO of the Alliance of Strong Families and Children, and now Social Current, where she positioned our sector for excellence, distinction, and influence so that all touched, including colleagues, people we serve, can thrive she also led a historic merger with the Council of Accreditation before stepping down as the CEO in 2021. Currently, Susan is living what she calls her second act, spending more time with her husband of 44 years, her family, and five grandchildren. She is engaged in her church and is enjoying a consulting practice with leaders and organizations committed to achieving breakthrough results through the lens of equity. And we were just chatting here about how Susan has been so busy because so many friends and people in this sector truly respect the great work that you do. Susan, I love you so much. You are absolutely incredible. I'm so uh, thankful that you're my friend and that you could be on our podcast again.
2: The feeling is mutual, Hector, I would tell you that uh, it's an honor to be in the ring with you. I've known you for decades, and you are always one ready for the fight, but always for all the right reasons.
0: Thank you so much. Okay, are you ready for round one?
2: Hector, I am ready.
0: All right, Susan, when I interviewed you in March, uh, you said that the next decade is the moment uh, for health and human services, Can you recap what you meant uh, by that statement?
2: I sure will, but I also just want to tell you uh, my feeling of hopefulness that this Mm. can indeed be a field and sector moment has only gotten stronger Mm. uh, since March, but with some caution. Mm -hmm. Uh, So first of all, if you remember when we were talking about this and I was telling you that I was the most hopeful I have ever been in my career, Mm that this really can be our field and sectors moment. It was because of a convergence of a number of forces that were going on. First of all, leaders like you, me, even some policymakers, universities, uh, we were really moving from program thinking to systems change thinking. We were starting to really push ourselves for the bigger results than just programmatic results. What difference were we really making in moving the needle on poverty? Uh, as an example. So there was this there was this fundamental steady drumbeat building of mm-hmm. moving from program thinking. It's about the program to what difference are we really making with and in community. There was also the advances in neurosciences mm-hmm. and I think neurosciences has just changed the game in our understanding of the brain and our understanding of what toxic stress and trauma does and how context, Within, the, within a person's life is the biggest measure of that. So no program in the world is going to change having unsafe housing. We have to change the housing. Mm-hmm. So I think we were starting to move into that direction, and I, I really credit the neurosciences and the Harvard Center for the Developing Child and other neuroscience leaders in changing the conversation mm-hmm. um, that we were having. The, the other thing I, was, I talked about was big data and evidence. There was just a growing movement that was showing me bigger data uh, and um, our use of bigger data and evidence. But then the pandemic hit. Mm. And so that was already in place. And then when the pandemic hit, those things only intensified from my perspective. But what got added was our nation through the pandemic, as awful, awful as it's been. And I tell you, I think the tail of it is long. And we have yet to really understand the societal implications mm. of the pandemic. It is only, the tail has only but begun to wag, right? Mm. But I do think that what happened was inequity was put right in front of our faces. Our interdependence on one another, regardless of economic circumstances, race, creed, color, religion. We, we saw how interdependent we were, but the inequities of how the pandemic was hitting especially our neighbors of color and neighbors living in poverty, was right there. Mm. I think what that did is it only now intensified my hopefulness mm. that this can be our field and, and sector's moment.
0: Wow, that's great. I, I really appreciate uh, your inspiration, the thoughts uh, that you have shared. Um, this, this idea of interdependence is, is interesting because in lots of ways, um, this pandemic brought us together. Uh, as a nation. But there are also ways it has divided us uh, as a nation. We'll probably get into that uh, later on into an, uh, another question I have for you.
2: Yeah, but what I might do is start saying that you need to run for political office. So be careful how far you go with that, because it's also <laughs> about the leaders we're choosing.
0: Yes, definitely. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, so Charlotte, um, the president and CEO of Lutheran Services in America, uh, was, um, was, on, uh, was one of my guests and she made a comment. She said, we need to disrupt the environment ourselves and don't wait to be disrupted. And it's a very uh, important point that we can't just sit back and wait for the system to give us what we what they want to give us, but how do we be more proactive? So uh, I, I, the question is, what three things do you believe our sector needs to do to disrupt right now to achieve its full potential? Yeah.
2: Well, first of all, I'm going to put the um, more responsibility, shared responsibility on the sector itself, I, we have to disrupt ourselves. Um, if you're not disrupting as an organization, you look at any Fortune 500 company, uh, and I don't want to compare us to a company, you look at the major health systems that are, that are doing so well, they're constantly disrupting their status quo. Our sector does not do that well We're comfortable in our status quo, so the idea of disrupting it, we don't understand why we should. And I think our governance models, our boards of directors, and I'm not being critical of boards, I think it's amazing how this sector is governed by community. Um, But I do believe we've been inattentive to our governance in terms of what a 21st century governance model needs to look like in a disrupted world. But I would tell you the the other thing I'd say to the sector about disrupting itself, it's twofold. One is, we have got to learn to say no. Mm. We have, we, it is, I worry when, when size is what a CEO thinks is, their, is the preeminent goal. No, it's not. Impact is. The, there's a reason this country has a third sector, right? And we, we are motivated by different things. We are motivated by the difference we're making, not the how, how big is our budget, how many employees do we have, and what's our margin.
1: Mm.
2: Now... We need those things to be a successful organization. We've got to be clear what that paramount purpose is. But I do think we've got to constantly be going through what Dr. Ron Heifetz, the father of adaptive change and leadership says, is constant daily cycles of what do we keep doing? What do we stop doing? And, and I tell you, we got to start saying no. When, when people are accepting contracts that are paying them less than it costs to deliver great services, it isn't just a question of the money. It's a question of are we being complicit in allowing poor quality services to be provided? Mm-hmm. Right? So there's two questions that have got to be asked there. Yeah. Not only is it does it pay for our costs, but are we being complicit in continuing to take this contract? What do we need to change up? Because science is changing, evidence is changing, we're learning new, we're learning more, we got to change it up. Or what do we need brand new? That we have not done before, and stop thinking that the only way we're going to do that is by building our own internal capacity versus the kind of generative partnerships and mergers and acquisitions that build that capacity more quickly.
0: You know, thank you, uh, Susan. You know, this idea of, of saying no, I think, is really important. So, for us um, at LSS, over the last uh, six years, we've divested of over thirteen million dollars. Worth of programs. And when I started in the organization, we're about 56 million. Uh, today, we're about uh, 62. So what it has done for us, it has positioned us to be more strategic. Where can we operate with excellence? Where can we make a difference in the lives of the people we serve? And and where is there margin to expand our impact in our ministry? And so, for us, we, we, we were able to say no, and it has allowed us to be probably the strongest we've been in 15 years, uh, but it's not an easy journey, and it takes leadership, it takes the board of directors, uh, it takes policymakers and influential people in the community, donors, uh, to really be on the same page in order to uh, achieve those goals. So uh, thank you for that insight. Um, that completes round one. Woo-hoo. <laughs> In round two, we're going to explore uh, these three disruptive opportunities uh, for our sector. But first,
1: a word from our sponsor. Supporting your employees is more than a paycheck and 401k. It's just a fact. People today are at a higher risk of experiencing mental illness, housing insecurity, and substance abuse. Do you know the health of your employees? Your communities, how can you step up your benefits to better address their well being? M3 Insurance helps businesses see beyond basic benefits and support employees where they live. It's a meet them where they are approach that LSS delivers to their clients every day. M3 and LSS offer real solutions to now commonplace realities that strengthen employees. And inspire communities to thrive. Test your employee benefit strategy now by going to m3ins.com. All right. Are you ready for round two?
0: All right, champ, let's go. Great. Here we want to talk about activating real solutions to build health and well being, uh, not only here in Wisconsin, but truly for our nation. I had uh, Kathy Marklin, uh, who is the executive director of WAFCA. uh, And one of the things she said on our show is, it's not about who needs or who doesn't need. We all have a need. And ultimately, we tap into human services at some point. You know, this was a tough few years. We were in a major worldwide pandemic. Uh, The civil unrest we experienced, the political polarization. So to the earlier point where it made us interconnected. There's lots of ways it really has divided us, um, and we have seen very successful people, you know, lose their jobs. Uh, very successful people needing affordable housing. Uh, individuals that maybe had Medicaid but weren't able to access uh, a therapist uh, to address their crisis needs right now, their depression surfaced now, uh, their anxiety and mental health uh, symptoms surface now, um, but our system isn't ideally set up to serve some of those individuals. So uh, I also had a conversation with Governor Evers about this, and we talked about how social services sector can collaborate more effectively with healthcare to To achieve to achieve great outcomes for the people that need it most. So, Susan, I want to ask you: How can social services elevate uh, to be viewed as equally as impactful as as healthcare to address some of these issues that uh, we face as a society? Boy, it's a great
2: question. You're throwing me a punch there, my friend. Um, that's, a, that's a good one. Um, I want you
0: to bob and weave and come I'm, back I'm hard. I'm bobbing and weaving. I'm, <laughs> I'm in it.
2: Um, I listened to both podcasts with yeah. Governor Evers and Kathy. And again, you've just had really outstanding um, uh, people, and I, I have a great uh, uh, respect for both of them. And So I, I really did enjoy those. I think, I think, first of all, it's understanding the larger role this sector can and must play in society. We sit as observers to the political realities of our nation. When as a sector, as as an independent, proud third sector, I think when you look at our boards of directors who read like the who's who of community, Mm -hmm. who are Republican, Democrats, independent, diverse, I really believe there's an asset this sector has to changing the dialogue, Mm -hmm. right? That right now is so partisan. And that is building the human potential of all people. And I think we've, we've allowed that to become a partisan discussion, but I know and love, respect Republicans. I know and I love, respect Democrats. And they are not waking up every day and thinking, what horrible, terrible thing can I do to our country today? Mm. I think we're having the wrong conversation, and I think our sector could lead in what creates that place that they can come together together, and that is the greatest strength any nation has in this world is its people. It's mm-hmm. its people. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about people investment here. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to change some of the narrative of how we're talking about this and framing it in a way that it doesn't matter which side of the political spectrum are on. I can hear this. Now, the other thing I'd t- say in terms of changing this is one is I'm going to talk about what the sector, I think, needs to do. And again, this could be a three-hour conversation, and you and I are doing this quick. So I could say more, but I'm going to mm-hmm. keep it short. I'm going to talk about one thing that I think the sector needs to do more of, in addition to what I just talked about, but also what I think government, Medicaid, healthcare companies, mm-hmm. and others um, need to do to help to change this, this discussion. Mm-hmm. First of all, our sector needs to be leading on the evidence and we need to start getting the kinds of partnerships with universities, with health systems, with with the National Institute for Health and CDC, and right, think big about the evidence that we need to demonstrate on how what we do is moving the needle on health improvement and healthcare costs. We we talk about it, but where's the evidence, Mm -hmm. right? So that's the first thing I'd say for the sector. As far as government, I think, number one, to a, a Medicaid, um, and I had Medicaid in Washington State, so if I was talking to the managed care companies, um, I would be um, wanting them and I would be um, uh, um, creating things within their contracts um, where they are motivated to follow the evidence. Um, in terms of best investment of of our state dollars for best results. The other thing that I would be doing is incentivizing researchers and others with investment, that I would be making investments in as a public sector leader, in in the evidence that changes billing codes. Mm. The holy grail of this conversation is we need to have billing codes for the evidence that shows us that providing human supports is as integral to someone's health care as providing them insulin. Mm -hmm. And it's just as critical to the control of type two diabetes, right? So I would, that would be another big focus I'd have. And then, and then lastly, it's, it's back to what I said before, it's really scrutinizing the contracts. And this is where I think our sector again could lead a bit more is we don't understand those managed care contracts well enough. We don't understand the pain points they're solving for, the requirements that they're under, and where we're helping them to solve for their problems, but where we also see something simply does not make sense, that we're lifting up, again, what I said earlier, that larger influencing voice, that larger nonpartisan influencing voice in our thought leadership. I look at an LSS, um, you guys, particularly, I look at you and I think you are so much more than just a great provider of programs and services, right? Mm-hmm. You are an incredible thought leader mm-hmm. on these issues, and I don't think we're ten xing enough the leverage of that.
0: Yeah, thank you so much, and and uh, appreciate the nice comments about LSS and and other organizations across the state just doing really good work to address some really challenging issues that impact people uh, really around the social determinants of health. So uh, housing and food insecurity and and transportation and, and medical and those are the things that we do very well and um, and are things that we can contribute to healthcare and to manage care to improve the outcomes of, of those individuals that are, are falling uh, through the cracks.
2: But I'd also say though, the other thing it does is I don't think we do enough of connecting the dots Mm. that give policymakers the understanding we're not just doing this Mm. to improve people's health as we define it, but going back to what we know about the neurosciences and the power of context, when we move those social and environmental determinants of health, which I will call the social and environmental determinants of life,
1: Mm.
2: when we move those in a targeted way in communities that, that need a targeted investment, we've got to stop the lawnmower going across the whole nation of funding, be more targeted in where it's needed most. But when we change context, safety of housing, safety of a neighborhood, um, parks that are available for play and, and recreation, you know, we could go on and on through that whole list. We're changing a context. That will do more than just give us better healthcare results. Mm-hmm. It's going to give us better results in education. It's going to move the needle on, on poverty numbers. It's going to move the needle on crime data. Mm-hmm. It's there's twofers here. And I don't th- I think we get stuck in our silos that we're just talking about it through the lens of health.
1: Yeah.
2: We got to talk about it more broadly. It it gets underneath root causation of a number of perplexing mm-hmm. issues yeah. that face communities and our entire country.
0: That's great, Susan. You know, you talked um, a lot about how the sector needs to lead and to show evidence and to show the data and to articulate how we're making this difference and analytics. Um, So our sector needs to elevate in that space uh, with technology, with analytics and, and with data to prove and show that difference that we're making. But it's not easy. Uh, I would consider LSS, uh, we're on a robust journey, uh, but we're not where we need to be at. It requires uh, leadership and infrastructure and resources. And and again, we're, we're dedicated to that. But from your experience, uh, what are some of the barriers of achieving this and, and how are they being overcome uh, by other organizations that you're aware of?
2: In terms of, of getting to the big data, the technology, th- the yeah. big data, and the analytics, yeah. um, I think, uh, first of all, we have to. I've seen great things happen through great partnerships. And I think if I was sitting on the board of LSS, I would be certainly very interested in, in the, in the success of, of what we were doing and the growth of what we were doing, the financial health of the organization. But I think I would also want to know how the CEO was leveraging deep partnerships, right? That created, that, 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 that that one plus one equals three. Um, and I think when I look at organizations and they have a deep embedded partnership with a Chapin Hall Center for Children, as an example, mm-hmm. with a with a major university school of social work or school of technology, or mm-hmm. and I think CEOs need to spend as much time nurturing and developing those deep partnerships, right? The other thing is um, really looking at um, merger and acquisition. And looking at what what you're bringing into your organization through an MA. First of all, the MA doesn't have to just be with MA of someone like us. It might be merger and acquisition of a small upstarting technology mm-hmm. company, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's going to help 10X that area for us. And I think we've got to think about the blend of being doing our doing our nonprofit work but also where we can advance social enterprise that builds our capacity while generating revenues. So I'm I'm, I'm just never one to want to point my finger outward. Mm -hmm. I first want to look within and then figure out where I need my influence, my partnerships, my leadership out in the community to help make that happen. But if we just keep pointing our finger outward, we'll just keep having this conversation.
0: Awesome. Well, that completes round two. In round three, we're going to discuss specific ways that our public and private leaders need to disrupt our sector to grow and thrive. Okay, you ready for round three?
2: Hector, I am ready. But
0: watch out. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh, I'm ready. Uh, In my conversation with you earlier this year, uh, you were very clear about social services organizations, finding champions, and making sure that we're getting them proximate uh, to our organizations. I've had a couple, uh, several conversations with other guests uh, who agreed with you. Uh, Tracy uh, Waring-Evans. My a, dear friend. Yeah, our dear friend, President and CEO of APHSA, said when building strong public-private partnerships, we need to ask ourselves, are you proximate? Are you visible? Do you ask about what the community needs? Frank Cumberbatch, our Vice President, uh, Vice President of Engagement and Bader, of Bader Philanthropies, who's also our Vice President at Lutheran Social Services on our board, he agreed and he said philanthropy is not so much about money, but about understanding the needs for humanity, dreams, fears, care for children, get up close to these issues. And so I I wanted to share that um, we agree with that, but there are some challenges. Uh, You have HIPAA regulations, you have privacy issues, you have the dignity of the people we serve and our colleagues that really want to protect that. Um, So considering those barriers that I would say are real, how are organizations getting their supporters their champions, approximate uh, to their organization to show that impact that they're having? Well, first
2: of all, I'm not going to question the best of intentions for the things that some people view as mm-hmm. barriers. But my concern is that there's, there's always a baseline of protecting the dignity and the confidentiality of anyone. But I think we have allowed these things to become excuses for not getting proximate, because to get proximate makes one vulnerable, and that includes us when we let people get proximate to us and to our work. So I think we have to be careful what really is the motivation there, because I have found in my work, with whether it's with legislators in the Wisconsin State Legislature and our reform efforts in Milwaukee County when I was the administrator of children and families, mid-90s, early 2000s, um, legislators were were going out in the field. I had them listening, sitting and listening to intake calls. I had them out in the field on removals of children. They signed confidential HIPAA required, you know, confidentiality letters. But I they had to get proximate. But I want to be clear about why we are doing this, and and that proximate isn't just being in the work. Mm-hmm. It's also proximate means whatever you're doing that helps create the head and heart connection to the very essence of what we're talking about and that head part is important right being able to not just give people the feeling the visual of the work but being able to share with them the data the evidence the, the, the right it's more it, you've got to sell them in both levels the head and the heart mm-hmm. i think the other thing i would i would say that we have to do is really create a list of who are our influencers. Some organizations might use the term our broadest definition of our authorizing environment. That doesn't mean they give us our money. That doesn't mean they're just setting policy, but they have influence. Mm. And who are those people? And then figuring out ways, not just anecdotally every five years because you happen to think about it, mm. but on a regular cadence just as you just as you invest in your great donors and staying regularly communicative with them, what are you doing to stay in regular communication through your thought leadership, your education, work, right? Giving people new data, new knowledge, new information, and what are you doing to allow them to be proximate? The best legislators that I have, whether I was Washington State or Wisconsin. Were were those those le- legislators that I knew could be my champions for whatever was the issue, but I had to invest in making sure they had that true head and heart connection to what we were talking about. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I really like that because the challenges sometimes seem uh, insurmountable, and it's going to really require all of those champions. And those champions are our donors, uh, their board members, their policymakers. They're just supporters on the side that have a, a strong voice that can... And uh, they vote. And they vote. And, <laughs> they and, do
2: all sorts of things.
0: And they want to make a difference. Yep. And, and they're respected. And so we have to rely more on that. Um, so I really like that to, to really just broaden our perspective to bring in many others in, in the tent that haven't necessarily been okay. there to So we advocate. have to change the
2: conversation. Mm-hmm. So right now the conversation tends to be, and I felt this way when I was secretary um, out in Washington State, oftentimes it felt like the conversation with the social sector
1: mm-hmm.
2: was, give us the money, mm-hmm. right? And so every conversation began and ended about a rate, a payment structure, why we weren't mm-hmm. paying enough, and I don't think that's the right strategy. Mm-hmm. Now, I do now look at boards, and I look at CEOs like you, mm-hmm. and I say I see us figuring out ways to make the necessary investments in our organization in terms of our our evidence, our technology, our people, greatest thing we've got going are the people in our organization. Talking about all this stuff's important. I don't see us making an investment, a conscientious annual investment that grows over time in our influence, mm. Not just our advocacy, because you belong to WAFCA, which is a great organization. Kathy's outstanding, but but because you are investing in your influence, that's why I love what you're doing here with this podcast. Mm-hmm. This is a great example of that. Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you, thank you. And we had some other great guests: uh, CEOs uh, Mike Vickerson, managing partner at M3; Chris Kenyon, managing partner, uh, uh, or the uh, Mike Vickerson is the CEO. Uh, at M3. Chris Kenyon is a managing partner at M3. David Dewey, who's a dear friend of ours, uh, was on the show. And uh, Jose Olivieri, who's a partner at Michael Best and also is the board chair of LSS. And they shared some very interesting uh, insights uh, and agreeing with, with all the things we're saying here today. Uh, they've said that it's never been harder time to be a leader than right now. Paying our people, more and providing traditional benefits aren't going to solve Mm -mm. our recruitment and retention challenges. It takes a strong board and a CEO to carefully navigate advocacy uh, and uh, succession planning. So those were some of the things they said. Um, What are the top three areas that you think uh, leaders should be focusing on in this next year, 2023?
2: Well, the first is adaptive strategy. I think the old notion of strategy is probably something that's keeping me the most busy in my consulting practice is, is I think the old way of thinking about strategic planning is dead, 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 dead. And I think we have to be more agile organizations. I think we have to be very clear on what it is we're ultimately striving to achieve. What difference are we trying to make in this world? And a clear theory of change and the, and, and moving through again, good old what we know rapid sprints, adaptive learning, constant changing, and looking toward the future. So I would say, first of all, change that up, which is also a cultural shift in an organization, because when you do this, you will create natural dissonance, you will create natural ambiguity in the environment, and our sector's not wired for that.
0: Can you share a little bit about the adaptive? I'm familiar with with some of the work, but some of us uh, in the audience may not be, but moving away from the technical aspects of change to the share a little bit more about. Yeah. So that. there's
2: two types of, of there's two types of change, right? Mm-hmm. There's te- technical and adaptive challenges, mm-hmm. and adaptive challenges are ones that where the answers are not so clear, and they are more uh, subjective than objective, mm-hmm. and we're used on the technical fa- straight side, mm-hmm. right? We're that's the tools in our toolbox typically. What I'm really working with organizations now to do, and their boards, is to be hyper clear on what it is ultimately is our purpose. I don't want to hear your beautiful vision statement, and you got a great mission statement, and you got great values, look great on your coffee cups. That's not what I'm talking about. What are you fundamentally trying to achieve? What difference are you trying to make, right? Let's start and be very clear there, because I think that gets lost, and we get defined by our contracts and our services. And we we lose that. So once you're very intentional with that, now you're stepping back from that and you're going, okay, how are we going to get there? And this was when, from my perspective, it brings up the three tenets of this sector. What is it that's going to give us excellence as an organization to achieve this theory of change we've now created through this adaptive change lens? What is it that's going to give us distinction as an organization and distinction isn't just in the way in which you provide your programs and services and what, what you do. Distinction is also you as an, as an, as an organization. What is your distinction in the marketplace? What's the pixie dust mm-hmm. of LSS? And I know if I spent a week in your organization, there is a, there is a, there is a pixie dust that you have as an organization that is unique to you. Mm-hmm. We got to bottle that package it and 10 exit. Mm-hmm. The last one is your influence. And again, as I said in our earlier conversation, we don't do enough investing and intentionality about that. And then, so that's really how I look at, at adapt. We're, we're at an adaptive moment as a nation, and all the things that the other CEOs were saying are dead on right, but it all comes back to we face an adaptive challenge, and all of the technical solutions in the world that are in our rearview mirror are not going to solve for those issues. It takes adaptive
0: Great. work. Thank you so much uh, for your, your comments on around th- that adaptive work and, and how you really summed it up, excellence, distinction, and influence. That's how our sector needs to rise uh, to the occasion and, and, and really be forward-thinking and really set the way. Uh, for the future.
2: You know, Hector, there's one more thing I just want to add that I, I was thinking about when you said this, is I think sometimes we get so stuck on our payers, mm. and don't get me wrong, I'm not Pollyannish, I've been there. I, I know how very important that is and that relationship is and the, and the uh, adequacy of the payments we receive, et cetera. But I also think we have to understand, again, this sector, I think 30% of the revenues of a social sector organization should be mm-hmm. coming from unrestricted resources. When we raise money, it's not just because we need the money. We're inviting community to be with us on this journey. There is, there is a larger benefit to society in fundraising beyond the monies that are in, that go into the LSS bank account, right? But the unrestricted resources of an organization needs to be of paramount importance to a board because that is our precious capital mm-hmm. to say no. That's our precious capital to be courageous in our advocacy, and that's our precious capital to invest in our capacities as organizations mm-hmm. for the future. So I just want to put a pin in, there's a third sector in this country. Mm-hmm. Let's not blur it with the other two. One of those is the importance of why we raise money. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can't just be to backfill underfin- underfunded contracts. It has to be to make the necessary and critical investments in us and in our, national, in our thought leadership and advocacy.
0: This is so important. Thank you for for sharing that. You know, I think that uh, that philanthropy is is so important for a variety of reasons all of which you just shared, but also part of it is making sure that we can pay our staff commensurate to the value they provide society and government contracts isn't covering that. You know, we have people that are helping people get out of incarceration, saving them millions of dollars over time we have people not going to the emergency rooms that that is very costly and we have people getting out of government services altogether because of the services that we provide so i've been very vocal uh, you know on the, on this podcast and making sure that we can pay our staff commensurate to the value they provide and philanthropy can help with that philanthropy helps with that infrastructure building with that innovation that allows us to do something that's honorable and remarkable and extraordinary mm-hmm. for others uh, in our sector. What
2: would be great though is for an intermediary, you take like a WAFCA in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm thinking about this stuff on a national level, but is is where you come together and philanthropy is investing in the evidence that you need mm-hmm. for the things that you just said that I know mm-hmm. are true. Mm-hmm. Reductions in ER visits, right? What the ROI is of that. Mm-hmm. Um, what 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 happens when someone is housed and they're not. I mean, there's evidence there, but I think we've got to 10x our evidence here and it's going to require an investment. And that would be a perfect role with a for a network of organizations with philanthropic investment to do that. And it's the kind of thing, to be really candid, that organizations like an LSS, to whom much is given, much is expected, you are a deeply blessed organization. And I know you know that and you steward it beautifully, mm-hmm. but it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the future. Right. And I think it's a role that an LSS could play, mm-hmm. but bring the evidence to what it is that we're saying is the commensurate value. Yes.
0: All right. That's a challenge. <laughs> I got that's you a that challenge. One. I'm ready for that challenge. So uh, final question. <clears throat> uh, after your interview the last time, I started asking guests, uh, how are you knocking out uh, 2022? So if you could please share how you knocked out 2022, and if you want to share a little bit, how are you are going to be knocking out 2023?
2: Well, you know, I thought a lot about how I would answer this question, and it's more self-reflective mm. for me this year. My mom passed away in December, and that has hit me harder than anything in my 65 years of life. And it's been an incredible journey that I actually think is making me better at what I believe and what I'm doing But it's been a journey of um, allowing myself uh, to experience intense grief, to be sad, to have immense gratitude for the beautiful mother that I was blessed with, but to also self-reflect on ways I can be a better version of myself Mm -hmm. and to be more empathetic. Um, So I know that might surprise folks who know me well out there who are hearing it, but this has been more of a self-reflective year. But I feel like I did knock it out Mm. because I'm on another side of a process that I actually think it has left me better version of myself. Mm. And for that, I am thankful and blessed. Uh, 2023, um, I hope that... um, um, Actually, I don't know what that's going to be like. I know that I'm committed... To, doing, um, um, to continue doing this consulting work on a part-time basis, um, but only with leaders and organizations that I feel are, are capable of being those kinds of forward-leading sector organizations in this nation today. And I hope that I will have the opportunity to do more work in the public sector, um, only because I think the interface between the two sectors is indisputable. And I think my cross-sector background lends itself well to that. Mm-hmm. So I guess the way I'd like to knock it out in 2023 mm-hmm. is to up the game a little bit more and have more uh, public sector influence mm-hmm. in, my, um, in the work I'm doing.
0: That's great. So, um, you know, I, I want to sh- say that um, your mom mm-hmm. um, is an awesome mom. Clearly, she has influenced you oh, uh, yes. in a very positive way. So I want to uh, say thank you, Mom, um, <laughs> for, for Susan and, and her great leadership that she has imparted uh, to us uh, in our sector. And um, regarding consulting, you know, you might be getting a call from me in LSS uh, of Wisconsin, Upper Michigan.
2: Remember, I said part-time.
0: <laughs> so thank you so much. Thank that, you. That concludes our final round. Susan, you knocked it out. Thank you.
2: Hector, you knock it out as well.
0: Thank you. Wow. Another great episode uh, by my dear friend, uh, Susan. You know, she shares some really valuable insights uh, that I'll summarize here uh, right now. She continues to be so hopeful uh, for our sector that we can lead the way, but we have to um, not think about programs but think about system change think about bigger results uh, uh you know the the fact that we are advancing through neuroscience in order to address the true needs of the people we serve looking at trauma you know is something that is advancing in our sector and is it is making her hopeful and me as well you know the fact that um we have a big data uh, or more data today that is starting to show and demonstrate our evidence is uh, makes her very hopeful. She said that we have to have more responsibility on ourselves. You know we are too comfortable in the status quo. Is is what she said, and we need to be forward looking. Looking at governance is a very important part of that. Our governance needs to be a, a 21st century governance model that's gonna take us to new heights and to extraordinary uh, results now and into the future. She also said that we have to learn how to say no. You know, we are a sector, an industry, a ministry that loves people. We wanna serve people. It's very hard uh, for us to say no, but we have to learn because we have to operate as a business, Uh, no margin, no mission, And so it's very important to think about it from that context so that we can have greater impact, serve more people in our society, especially those most in need. And we have to change our programs, develop new ones to address the true needs of the people we serve. The social services sector can play a larger role, not just being an observer, but playing a larger role. And coming in along with our partners, our board of directors, our donors, our, our, our funders, but also those influencers all coming together to, to talk about some of these challenges, how we can address those challenges, and making sure we have the right partnerships to advance the health and well being of people we serve who have incredible odds stacked up against them. But we shouldn't be doing this alone. We need to show our evidence first that uh, what we are doing is working, But, but having partnership with universities, with healthcare systems. She even mentioned CDC, which is something that doesn't come to the top of my head, but yes, why not? We have to create those partnerships. We cannot do this alone. You know, we have to, we talked a lot about Connecting um, donors and partners and funders proximate to um, the the work that we do, and she talked about how we have to we have to touch them their heads and their hearts, you know, provide data and evidence regarding the difference we're making that that connects to the head, but also show that passion and that testimony and that transformation that is occurring in the lives of the people we serve, both of those that head and heart are very important. And she also talked a lot about having an adaptive strategy, a cultural shift that's not going to only focus on the technical aspect of change, but those behavioral components that are necessary in order to shift us to new heights and direction. And she also talked about how our sector should have 30% of our revenue con- come from unrestricted sources. That's a great goal. I know many of our in sector, our, many are in our sector, are really reliant on government contracts—80, 80, 85, 90% relying on government contracts. So it is really good advice that we have that unrestricted money so that we can pay our staff can measure it to the values they provide society. Government don't truly cover the true costs for our colleagues. You know, innovation with technology or innovating new programs that aren't being funded today but are necessary and important and are valid to make a difference in the lives of the people we serve. So all of that, we need unrestricted dollars. Um, if there's any donor out there right now that wants to support LSS, so that we can do some of these things, please uh, give us a call. And I want to summarize and end with three powerful words that Susan shared with us here today about our purpose. We need to operate with excellence, distinction, and influence. Thank you, Susan. A special thank you to our audience for tuning in this year and also to M3 Insurance for, our, for your sponsorship your partnership, and your friendship. You can find out more about In the Ring with Hector Colon Podcast, our guest episodes on our website at lsswis.org slash in the ring. Please let us know what you think about the show and what you want to know and learn in future episodes. Please like, follow, and share at LSSWIS on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And please subscribe to our YouTube channel so you don't miss any of these important conversations in the future. All right. Thank you, Susan. And until next year, con mucho cariño, with much affection. Bye.